Well, good morning, Eastgate Alliance Church. Great to be with you this morning, and welcome to Eastgate Online. Um, I want to wish all of you a very happy Palm Sunday and the Lord's blessing on you. Let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer and just ask Him to bless this time of ours together. Father, we come to you today, and we thank you for this great opportunity to uh, learn from you, to hear your, your voice speak to us. We pray, Lord, that you would open your word to us, that we would hear its message, that uh, it would warm our hearts and challenge us to live for you. We ask, Lord, that you would anoint me as I speak your word. May I speak it in power and in truth. Father, we want to pray for our world right now, Lord, and we just ask that you would grant mercy to our world as uh, many people are dying and many are sick. And so, Father, we pray that you would grant mercy and that you would rescue uh, your people. Uh, Father, we pray for those in our congregation who are sick. Lord, I think of Wolfgang Laws, who has, uh, has been diagnosed with cancer, lung cancer. And uh, so, Lord, we just pray that you would bless him. We pray, Lord, that you would uh, bring healing to him, Lord. Uh, Lord, he's planning on having a number of uh, treatments. And so, Lord, we just pray for the effectiveness of those treatments. We ask, Lord, that um, you would bless others who are sick, Lord, in, in various ways. And we just pray, Lord, that you would uh, guard your people against, uh, against the virus. And uh, so, Father, we pray for Eastgate Alliance Church and people who are watching today, Lord. We ask that you would uh, bless them and encourage them as we dig into your word. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs> Sorry. <clears throat> At the entrance to Manila Bay here, you can see there's a little tiny uh, island here. It's called a uh, Cragador. And uh, there you can see it a little better, but it's tiny. You can barely see it. Uh, and that during World War II in the Pacific Campaign, General Douglas MacArthur and his family were stationed right at that spot in the Bay of uh, Manila. And uh, he was overseeing about 90,000 uh, troops, both Filipino and American. And um, they were in a heavy battle against the Japanese. As the Japanese were, were this is right after Pearl Harbor. Many, many people don't realize this, but right after the bombing of P Pearl Harbor, they attacked the Philippines uh, the very next day, actually. Um, and basically, the Philippines were going to fall. And, uh, and it was very obvious. And even though MacArthur had 90,000 troops, there was no way it was going to be enough to stop the Imperial Army of Japan. And so um, the Frank, U.S. President Franklin Roosevelt, he ordered MacArthur to leave. you got to leave. Save your hide. And MacArthur was like refusing. Just no way. I'm not going. I'm staying with the troops. But finally, uh, the uh, commander-in-chief ordered him to leave. And so he was obedient to that order and basically hightailed it to um, Australia. <clears throat> and knowing that the, the Philippine islands would soon fall, MacArthur said some three famous words that every Filipino would be able to quote. And it's no surprise to any F Filipino what he said. And here's the, the general himself sharing these words with us. From I said to the people of the Philippines whence I came, 
I shall return. I shall return. Those are the iconic words. Uh, they're they're in, uh, indebly imprinted on many of the, the Filipino minds because it was MacArthur's promise that even though he was retreating now, he was going to come back with an army and rescue the Philippines. Uh, MacArthur said, we're not retreating, we're just advancing in a different direction. Um, so over the next two and a half years, MacArthur kept repeating this phrase, I will return. He, he, he posted it in, in the press. He did news conferences uh, and made it very public that he had promised the Filipino people that he would return to liberate them. <clears throat> I shall return was his promise to the Philippines. <clears throat> but soon after MacArthur escaped from the Philippines, the Philippines was, were overrun by the Japanese army, and they began to occupy it. While the Philippines were, were under uh, Japanese rule, terrible atrocities were happening constantly under their rule. It's been documented that 132,000 war crime deaths occurred during those few years that they, uh, uh, they were in control. The famous Bataan Death March, where an estimated 18,000 uh, POWs were killed. Uh, just because they were driven so hard and uh, and died along the way. And then there was the massacre of Manila, where it's estimated 100,000 civilians were were murdered, slaughtered in in the time of in, in the city of Manila. This this was a terrible time, and uh, the Japanese forces were brutal and overwhelming. And so the, the Filipinos, they fled to the hills and they, they started guerrilla warfare against the Japanese to try to uh, get them out. But there was no way they had any chance. But because of MacArthur's words, they were spurred on that someday MacArthur and an army was coming back to rescue the Philippines. And so they soldiered on and a couple hundred thousand Filipinos engaged in guerrilla warfare during this time. Uh, but, of course, they were outgunned, out, outnumbered, and it was very dangerous work. But they had a hope. And they clung to the words of General MacArthur, I shall return. And hope is something incredible. Because hope inspires us to do things we wouldn't otherwise do. You see, it was kind of useless to fight against uh, the Imperial Army. But because they had hope, they realized they could do something and they could give intelligence to the U.S. Army and they could do all kinds of things. And there was so much intelligence. Uh, they say that MacArthur could know what the other generals were eating for breakfast. Um, so hope is what keeps people alive during these times. Emily Dixon said, Hope is the thing with feathers that perches in the soul and sings the tune without words and never stops at all. Tom Bennett says, they say a person needs just three things to be truly happy in this world. One, someone to love. Two, something to do. And three, something to hope for. We need hope in order to survive and become happy. When it comes to the quality of our lives, hope makes a difference, all the difference in the world. Without hope, our lives de degenerate into something that was never meant for us by the Creator. The importance of hope can never be 
emphasized. And so I've heard from multiple sources that the, the current generation, the millennials, are freaking out over this pandemic that's hitting the world. They're just panicking. In fact, uh, I, I, one of my sons read me a, a message from one of his classmates who was absolutely panicking and saying that I have so much stress and anxiety over, over this pandemic that I can't possibly write a final exam online. It's just too much stress and I'm going to be overrun and I'm going to go crazy. And uh, my son was like, what is this guy talking about? But guess what? The prof listened to him and canceled all the exams. Uh, this is real. People are absolutely afraid. And I've heard from other people that the millennials in particular are particularly afraid and fearful of this thing, this virus. But you know what? I know some millennials, they're not afraid at all. They have a quiet assurance that God is in control and that uh, God, God hasn't allowed this thing uh, out of the blue. God has his purposes. And they're quite confident that their lives are wrapped up in Christ. And that whatever God's wills for them is fine. Where do they get this hope? Well, these, these millennials that I know who have hope, they have put their hope in the one who said, I will come back. And take you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you also may be where I am. And of course, that was Jesus Christ himself. He's the original one who promised to come back. It wasn't MacArthur who coined the phrase. It wasn't Arnold Schwarzenegger who shortened it down to, I'll be back. Uh, but it was Jesus who gave the original promise. And now it's taking a lot longer than anyone has expected, but... These are the words of Jesus Christ. These are the words of the Almighty himself. And we can trust these words because they are true. And so Jesus is coming back. Oh, glorious day. He's going to be here soon. Um, and you know, sometimes it takes a darkness to settle on us to see the light. Uh, Martin Luther King said, But I know somehow that only when it is dark enough can you see the stars. And so, you know, uh, today we're facing this pandemic and it's getting dark and people are despairing. But it's when the darkness of this pandemic hits that we start to see that God is in control. We start to remember that Jesus Christ said, I am coming back someday and I will come, come back and be with you. Jesus repeatedly was saying, the Son of Man is going to come with his angels and with the glory of his Father and great power. Over and over again, Jesus promised these things. And so today, as we celebrate Palm Sunday, the day that Jesus rides triumphantly into Jerusalem, we are also celebrating the fact that someday Jesus is going to come triumphantly riding a white horse, leading the armies of heaven uh, to be with his saints. And he's going to resurrect the dead and they're going to join him in the air. It's going to be amazing. So what an awesome hope that we have. Um, but that Palm Sunday that Jesus rode into Jerusalem, he was riding on a donkey in direct fulfillment of Zechariah's uh, promise that he would be, be coming back. Once there in the temple, uh, Jesus was, was in the temple courts and the, the disciples said, look at these magnificent buildings, Jesus. And Jesus turned around and replied, oh, don't get me wrong, but these buildings are all going to crumble and fail. 
And the disciples are like, oh, when's that going to happen? And Jesus said, well, and he explained many things, but some of the things that he explained, I want to just repeat to you. There will be times of great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, and, and never to be equaled again. In fact, if those days had not been cut short, no one would have survived. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. <clears throat> and there will be day, and immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from the sky, and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. And then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the far corners, from the four winds and from one end of the heavens to the other. <clears throat> Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of his servants, of his household, to give them their food in the proper time? It will be good for that servant who finds his master doing so when he returns. Truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. And so this is the story of Christ. Christ says there's going to be terrible times, but lo and behold, Christ is coming back. And it's good if you're found doing what Christ wants you to be doing when he gets here. Uh, and Christ will certainly reward him, put him in charge of everything. And so we have this glorious expectation as saints of the Lord Jesus. Uh, then, of course, Jesus, a, a little later on, during those five days between his triumphal enter, entry and, and, and his, his death, Jesus tells the story of the ten um, virgins who were waiting for, for the bridegroom to come, and five who were faithful and wise and understood the times, and five who were neglected and didn't look after themselves and weren't ready when the bridegroom came. And then again, then on the night before Jesus was crucified, Jesus is with his disciples, he's washed their feet, they've had the, the communion meal, and uh, Jesus starts telling them all kinds of things about the future. And he says, don't let your heart uh, be troubled. You believe in God, you believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. Would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you. I will come back and take you to be with me that you might also be where I am. You know the place to where I'm going. And so the cool thing is that not only did Jesus promise that he was going to come back, but in that whole passage, John 14 and 15 and 16, Jesus over and over again talks about the comforter that he's going to send, the Holy Spirit that would be with us in trouble. In fact, the comforter is really the Spirit of Christ. And so Christ himself says, I will never leave you or forsake you. And so Jesus not only says, I'm coming back, but he says, I'm going to be with you. And so Christ's Spirit is with us right in the middle of this pandemic. Christ's Spirit is with us, us right in the middle of uh, maybe being seriously sick. Christ's Spirit is with us right in the middle of persecution, right in the middle of all kinds of trouble. Christ's Spirit is with his saints. It's an amazing thing. Um, so in the middle of this pandemic, if your hope 
in the medical profession has failed you, if your hope in governments have failed you, if your hope in social distancing has failed you, remember, there is a promise you can count on. I am coming back, Jesus said, and I'm coming back to take you home to be with me. And so may hope preserve us in the fight. May hope preserve us as we share the good news that Jesus is coming back. Jesus is going to triumph over sin and death and sickness, and and we will all be gathered around him. You know, there's something about hope that touches our our souls. Um, Eugene M. Lang had planned on giving what he called uh, mouthing unusual commencement banalities to a bunch of sixth-grade graduates in Harlem. But when he got up in front of those kids, he realized that if he was going to challenge these these sixth-graders to live a successful life, that they needed hope. They... They were living in the slums. They were not going to make it. They weren't going to go to college. And so right there and then, he promised that he would personally help them get all get to college and pay for their tuitions. Uh, they were all shocked. They all broke out in cheers. And, and he, he, he kind of did it off the cuff without thinking about how expensive it was going to be. But he was a millionaire, so it was all good. And, uh, and so he challenged them with the words of, of Martin Luther King. I have a dream. And he challenged them, do you have a dream? And you know, that class had the highest graduating uh, uh, statistics in that school for years to come after that and years before. Why? Because these students were encouraged to keep going, that they could go to college and they could become somebody. They had hope for the future. And many of them ended up in college. Uh, More than half of them ended up uh, graduating from college. It was amazing. And so the, the principal sought to temper Mr. Lang's expectations, privately estimating that oh, only a handful of these students are going to make it. But when, when most of them made it, it was, just a, it was really a miracle. Uh, for the first times in the life, these students had hope. One of them said, I had something to look forward to, something waiting for me. It was a Golden feeling, they said. Mr. Lang described his work with the students uh, at this public school with the mo- as the most fulfilling endeavor in his life. Can you imagine giving people hope? That's very fulfilling. I was I just met someone. Uh, someone was sharing with me just just a couple days ago that they had shared Christ with a cab driver, and the cab driver had come to believe and, and repented of his sins and asked Christ into his heart. And he was ecstatic. He was just like, this is the greatest thing ever. Why? Because he was giving hope to somebody. Somebody who was concerned and worried now had the hope of the Lord Jesus that his sins were washed away and that he would have a place in heaven along with Christ. It's an amazing thing. Paul, Paul said, we are waiting for the blessed hope, the appearing of the, uh, of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. What an awesome thing. What a blessed hope. This is the Christian's blessed hope. Uh, for we, and he also said, we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Jesus started a work in us, in our hearts. Jesus started uh, this, this faith thing growing in us. 
Jesus caused us to believe in him, but it says that he will finish the work. The Bible says that God himself, the God of peace, will sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit and soul be kept blameless when? At the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. See, that's the marvelous thing about Jesus. Christ's call. He says that he will never leave us or forsake us. He's with us in the battle. And sometimes we might feel like, oh, I'm not worthy of going to heaven. I'm not worthy of having Jesus call me his brother, of God calling me his son. But Jesus says, I'm going to be with there. I'm going to finish this thing. He is faithful and he will do it. And so we're waiting for our blessed hope. We're waiting uh, for the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what we're waiting for. You know, in this word for hope here in, in this verse, it's not the same hope that, that we often use. Uh, well, I hope so. You know, kind of like, you know, uh, I've, I've got my lottery ticket in and I hope I win. And we're pretty sure it's not going to happen. But, you know, there's a slim glimmer of a chance. That, that's not the, the word that's being used here. This is This is a word more like, uh, you got an income tax notice that uh, the government has sent you a bunch of money, uh, income tax return, and that it's sitting in your bank account. And then you're going to the bank with the hope of getting some money. Well, that hope is pretty sure. You got a letter from the government. Your bank is a secure place where you do business. You have your PIN number. It's a pretty much a done deal. Uh, and that's the kind of hope that this is talking about. It's a hope of pure assurance, knowing that something is going to take place. That's the Greek, the Greek word has that connotation, not the, well, I hope so kind of connotation. It's more of a, uh, a an assurance that, some, that it's going to happen. <coughs> you know, the interesting thing about biblical prophecy, about the return of Christ, is that it's all throughout the scriptures. Um, and just the, just the Old Testament is saturated with, just as, as the Old Testament is saturated with prophecies about Christ's first coming, um, so both Testaments are filled with references to the second coming of Jesus Christ. One scholar estimated that there are 1,845 references to Christ's second coming in the Old Testament alone. <laughs> and, and where 17 books give it prominence. And in the 260 chapters of the New Testament, there are 318 references to the second advent of Christ. Amazing. One verse out of 30 in the New Testament talks about Jesus Christ coming back. So we don't have time to go through all the verses. It would take us all day. Um, for, for 23 out of the 27 New Testament books reference this great fact. Um, and so for every prophecy... Of the Bible concerning Christ's first advent, there are eight prophecies of his second advent. And so this is a great focus of the Christian life. Um, you know, in the Alliance logo, it's a pretty cool logo, but at the bottom here, there's, there's a crown symbol. And the crown symbol recognizes that Jesus Christ is our coming king. And so uh, in the Alliance, we say that that Jesus Christ is, is our coming king, and he's coming back. And so that ought to spur us on to do two things. One, to live a holy life, so that when he comes, it's, it's not like, oh, we're shocked, and oh dear, 
I wouldn't want to be, you know, stealing money from somebody or I wouldn't want to be uh, looking at porn on the internet or, or lusting after a woman walking down the street when Christ comes back. And so the one em- emphasis is that holy living. But the other emphasis of the coming king is that we want to be found doing his work. We want to win as many souls as possible to Jesus Christ so that when he comes, he has a great harvest to bring in of souls, one to the Lord. And so this is part and parcel of who the Alliance is. We're looking forward to the great coming of our Savior. Um, Now you might be wondering, Pastor, why are you talking about the second coming of Christ on Palm Sunday? I mean, how in the world are these two things related? Well, let me tell you the story of Palm Sunday. And in particularly at the end, I want to show um, the, the, the connection between Palm Sunday and the second advent of Jesus Christ. So in, in Matthew chapter 21, if you turn in your Bibles to Matthew 21, you can follow along with the story. Uh, it says that as they approached Jerusalem, they came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives. And Jesus sent two of his disciples and he said to them, go into the village ahead of you. And at once you will find a donkey tied there and a colt by her. Untie them and bring, bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, say, the Lord needs them. And he'll send them right away. <clears throat> and this all took place to fulfill what was spoken of through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, see, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And the disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. And they brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them. And, and, uh, and then Jesus sat, sat on it. And a very large crowd, large crowd started to spread their cloaks along the road while others were cutting branches off trees and putting it down on the road. And the crowds went on ahead of them. And those who followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David! Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest heavens! And then Jesus entered Jerusalem. And the whole city was stirred and they were asking who is this the crowds answered this is jesus the prophet from nazareth in in galilee so i want to point you out to this this map of the the route of the triumphal entry starts in bethany it goes up to bethage so they're on their way to to bethpage and jesus said go (coughs) go into that town up there and and get the donkey and all that and then they they head down this steep hill, past the Garden of Gethsemane, down into the Kindron Valley, and then up the other side of the hill. And there's a gate there that's called the East Gate. Um, and so um, this entry of Jesus, the triumphal entry of Jesus, Jesus was prophesied uh, in the Old Testament by um, <clears throat> Zechariah. For one, he prophesied that, that Jesus would ride the donkey. And then it was also prophesied by Daniel the exact timing of when this would take place. And if you do the math, if you take the, the weeks of Daniel uh, and, and count them as years, you realize that this is right till the day that Jesus enters into the temple completely according to the prophecy of Daniel. <clears throat> but we don't have time to get into all that. It's a lot of math. You don't want to do that. Uh, but... But this particular gate, the east gate, was prophesied in, in the book of Zechariah, Ezekiel, sorry, over and over again. And so uh, we're just going to have a look at this east gate because it connects the story of uh, Jesus' triumphal entry 
and the triumphal entry into the world that he is going to come. These two, two events are connected because Jesus is going to go through the same gate. Um, in in uh, <clears throat> Ezekiel chapter 10, the prophet talks about the fact that the glory of the Lord that sits over the cherubim in the Holy of Holies in the temple was going to leave and that it was going to leave through the east gate. <coughs> oh, excuse me. Uh, got a little tickle in my throat and it won't go away as I talk, keep talking. <clears throat> but we'll work our way through this. Um, and so, and then it says that the glory of the Lord went through the east gate, and then in chapter 11, the glory of the Lord ends up on the Mount of Olives, just outside to the east of, of the city. Uh, later, Ezekiel sees the glory of the Lord return to the temple via the gate facing east. <clears throat> and, and the glory of the Lord amples, en- enters the temple through this gate. Now, many people believe that this, this prophecy was fulfilled when Jesus entered the temple uh, mount on, on the day of, uh, of Palm Sunday. That that was a f- direct fulfillment of this because Jesus Christ, the, the exact representation of God, uh, entered into the temple. And um, <clears throat> once again, God was in his temple. Now, in Ezekiel verse, chapter 46, verse 12, it says, then, the, then when the prince provides a freewill offering to the Lord, whether a burnt offering or a fellowship offering, the gate facing east is to be opened for him. And he shall offer his burnt offering or his fellowship offerings as he does on the Sabbath day. And then he will go out, and after he has gone out, the gate will be shut. <clears throat> Very interesting. Who is this prince that provides a free will sacrifice? Who enters via this east gate? Jews and Christians alike believe it to be the Messiah. Uh, correlating with Zechariah 14, verse 4, On that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives east of Jerusalem, and the Mount of Olives will be split from east to west, forming a great valley with half the mountain moving north and half of it moving south. And then the Lord my God will come with all his holy ones with him. What a beautiful promise. <clears throat> and so this eastern gate of Jerusalem is also called the golden gate or, or the beautiful gate. Uh, that's the gate actually of the temple that was right beside the east gate. So you went through the east gate and then right there in front of you was the beautiful gate. Uh, it's also called the gate of mercy uh, because it leads directly into the temple square. It's currently the oldest gate in in the city of Jerusalem today because um, it was constructed in the 6th or 7th century A.D. Um, it was replaced, uh, it was built right on top of the, the wall that Nehemiah had built and right on top of the location where the east gate was uh, in Nehemiah's uh, wall. And that was, of course, the wall that Jesus would have walked, went through, through the east gate. But in 1538, Suleiman, the magnificent of the Ottoman Empire, rebuilt the wall around Jerusalem. Uh, And that's the wall that is still there today. And after he had finished restoring it, it included the East Gate. And someone must have pointed out that the Jewish Messiah was expected to come through the East Gate. 
So three years after finishing the, the wall, Solomon ordered that the east gate be sealed shut to, pre- to, present, <laughs> to prevent the Jewish Messiah from entering into Jerusalem. Uh, <clears throat> the Muslim Solomon was attempting to thwart the Messiah's plans with 16 feet of concrete, you know. Uh, the eastern gate has remained sealed for the, uh, nearly 500 years since that time. Ah, uh, but there's one more prophecy in Ezekiel about the east gate. Very interesting prophecy. The prophecy says, Then the man brought me back to the outer gate of the sanctuary, the one facing east, and it was shut. And the Lord said to me, This gate is to remain shut. It must not be opened. No one may enter through it. It is to remain shut because the Lord, the God of Israel, has entered through it. So, was Solomon keeping the Messiah out? Or was he fulfilling Scripture? Well, I'll leave you to figure that one out. <clears throat> we read in, in Luke, though, that there will be earthquakes, famines, and pestilences in various places, and fearful events, and great signs from heaven. And at that time they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with power and great glory. And these things begin to take place. Stand up, for your redemption draws nigh. Lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing nigh. <clears throat> and of course, these days we're fixing on, we're fixating on this word uh, pestilences right here. Uh, that's kind of becoming a glaring like, oh, is Christ coming back? <clears throat> However, during the world wars, we fixated on on the fact that Jesus uh, prophesied that there would be many wars. Uh, when, when the tsunami hit in 2003, we kind of fixated on the earthquakes that were happening. There uh, seems to be more and more earthquakes. Uh, there's always seems to be a famine going on somewhere. So when is that Jesus actually coming back? Well, I like the way C.S. Lewis described it in the voyage of the Don Treader, uh, where Aslan, the lion, who's sort of the Christ-like Christ figure in the story, tells Lucy that he's leaving and says, don't look so sad. We will meet again soon. Please, Aslan, Lucy says, what do you call soon? I call all times soon, says Aslan, and instantly he vanished away. <laughs> I like that idea. That soon for God is, God says a thousand years are like a day and a day like a thousand years. Somehow God is on a different timetable than we are. <clears throat> You know, uh, a TV commentator uh, began his newscast by saying, due to the current crisis, the light at the end of the tunnel will be turned off. Yeah, that's right. The world turns off hope. When things go bad, they just don't know what to do. and They just go like, well, there's no hope. But there is a light at the end of the tunnel, and his name is Jesus Christ, and he's coming back for us. People have lost hope in the future. I don't know if you've noticed the number of post-apocalyptic movies. They are proliferating all over the place. Uh, every time you turn around, there's another post-apocalyptic movie. It's like we're, we're willing the doomed, doomsday to come or something. I don't know what it, what's with it. But the other day, I was out, out driving on Montreal Street, and like it was completely deserted. And all of a sudden, a deer started jumping along and bouncing down the street. And I'm like, oh, dear. I really do feel like I'm in a post-apocalyptic movie now. 
uh, <clears throat> all the people around the world are gripped with fear. But for believers, the good news is that Jesus Christ is coming back. Now, I started with this message talking about uh, General MacArthur saying, I shall return. But it left us wondering what actually did happen back then, you know? I left, us, I left the Philippines in the grip of the Japanese army with atrocities taking place over and over. Uh, well, uh, General MacArthur was determined to go back to the Philippines. But the generals, they said, no, no, it's better if we go this way and not through the Philippines. But MacArthur stood up and he, and he just hammered home. He says, no, we have a moral obligation to our allies in the Philippines to go there and rescue them from the Japanese overlords. And so then on October 20th, 1944, this is what transpired. Among the most memorable and inspiring pictures of World War II are those of his return to the Philippines to redeem his promise to those left behind. I shall return. <coughs> Douglas MacArthur had kept his promise. He had returned to the Philippines. In Manila, deeply moved, he said, God has indeed blessed our arms. My country has kept the faith. Joyous church bells told the news of Philippine liberation and later the news of Japan's surrender to the Allies. <clears throat> That's the end of the story, folks. Uh, General MacArthur did come back. He did liberate the Philippines. It was a terrible... It's, they say it's the biggest battle of the Pacific happened there to rescue the, Fil the Filipinos. And, and he came back. And believers in Christ, Christ is coming back. And yes, there's a great battle that goes on today. And yes, we are in the middle of a battle. We, we are fighting uh, for the lives of the people on this planet. We want to bring them eternal salvation. And, and, uh, but like General MacArthur, Christ is coming back at the end of the day. And so we have to ask ourselves, are we ready for Christ's return? Um, <clears throat> there's a story that uh, President Eisenhower was in Denver, Colorado for a few days of business. And while he was there, he heard that there was a young lad who had cancer who really wanted to see the president. And uh, Eisenhower decided, hey, I'm going to go visit this, this young lad who was sick and dying, and uh, I'm going to make his wish come true. So he showed up at this young lad's uh, house with the whole motorcade, and, and he got out of the car, and he knocked on the front door, and and uh, the father was shocked to see the, pre the president there at his doorstep. And his son was all, all elated and very excited. And so they had a nice conversation. And then the president left. And later on, somebody asked the father, so what did you think of the president coming to visit you? And he said, well, I wish I would have had some forewarning. I was completely unprepared to meet him. <clears throat> but his son said, Oh, I had a great time with the president. I was so excited that he came, and I'm so glad I met him. And so, you know, I want to ask you today, when Jesus Christ comes for you and me, will you be like the lad, excited to meet Christ? 
Or will you be like the Father who says, oh, I wasn't prepared for that. Christ is coming, whether we're prepared or not. And it behooves us to be part of his team reaching out to the people who are so desperate for help these days, so so longing for something to hope in. And we have that answer. And so let's be effective as Christ's army. Let's be effective as his people and be ready when he returns. Amen? Let me just pray for you. Father, we thank you for the glorious words of scriptures that Christ is coming back. Oh, glorious day. We ask, Lord, that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit so that we would be ready. We pray, Lord, that you would give us the words of hope to share with our neighbors and friends. And when people say they're afraid, Lord, we pray that you would help us to share the blessed hope uh, that Jesus come, is coming back, that Jesus is coming to take us to glory. So whether we're sick or whether we're healthy, we are going to be with the Lord. And so, Father, we just pray that you would bless us with your presence, for we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, and may God bless you.